I want to read a couple of scriptures into your hearing. Last week when we were talking, I was fully aware that I was talking about this idea of, um, of what it is to be carnal. And I use that word, it's this word the scripture uses to describe people who are kind of in the flesh. People who are kind of allowing their emotions to rule them is one way to think about it. He's allowing their flesh essentially to kind of just be the, the ruling member of their person. And there's danger in that, in, in doing that. There's real danger in doing that. Sometimes we have to be so careful of who, of what emotions we feed into and allow to kind of rule us. Like sometimes when anger takes its place, like it can get out of hand. Like if you let love, if you let anger get out of hand, what you'll find is that you're short with people. You'll start to build an atmosphere that is tense and no one wants to be around. So we have to be very careful about the way in which we use our anger. And so that led me to think about last week when we were kind of finished thinking about what it is to have divisions in the church and why those divisions come. When I thought about this idea of what it is to be spiritual and carnal, it led me to think about, and I spoke to my wife about this, to think about the fruits of the Spirit. It's a scripture that is really, really important. Because if you're going to think about being too fleshly, I think it's also important to understand and recognize what it is to be in the Spirit and to be used by the Holy Spirit, to be even more specific, right? And in this regard, I want us to turn to your scriptures, if you have your Bible with you, to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read quite a bit of this, um, which is why I'm letting you take your seats right now. Galatians 5, we're going to start at verse 13, and I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. Um, Galatians, uh, this book, this letter that's written to the Galatians is specifically done to ensure that they understand their place in Christ. He's talking to a predominantly Jewish um, set of folks who are living in Galatia. And the problem with, with that they were going through, all the, the, everybody has limitations coming from any culture you come from. Um, I have mine, you have yours. And regardless of what that is, you have to speak to the concerns and the problems of the culture you're sitting in. And Paul's writing this letter to the people in Galatia who are Jewish primarily and have understood their relationship with God only through the law. Like that's their relationship to God. If it says this, do that. If it says this, do that. That's how they please God. The fundamental problem with this kind of relationship is, is that you inevitably fall short. Inevitably, you will break a rule. And unfortunately, what we've learned from scripture is the wages of sin is death. That's it, there's no in between. Which is why we need a Jesus to come for us. Jesus dies on the cross and says, I'm paying this for you because you don't have, you've run up a, you've run up a tab that you don't have the pocket to deal with. Right? You, you've started something and you can't finish it, so let me finish it for you. But in order to get fully, fully versed with the nature of salvation, we really do have to understand what it is to live in the Spirit. Because there's a certain kind of freedom that is being described that if we live in the Spirit, we have nothing to worry about when it comes to the law. And if you live in the Spirit, not only do you have to worry about the law, you don't have to worry about the price being paid for messing up under the law. So that's what this scripture is is founded on, and let me just dive in real quick here. Chapter 5, verse 13, we're talking about Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 13. And it reads, For brethren, 
Ye have been called to liberty, unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. <laughs> Here we're back to carnality again. Spiritual, spirituality versus carnality. Don't use your liberty, don't lose this freedom that has been so preciously paid for for you to just do what you want. You now have a responsibility if you're going to use this liberty. And you know, it, it's, it's funny, you think about how this country was founded, how the country I'm from is founded. It's amazing the cost that people were put in to make sure we have what we have. And you can now decide what you're going to do with that price that people paid for. Paul is challenging the, the people of Galatia here. He says, you've been given liberty, you've been given freedom. And the question is, what, who are you going to serve now you've been given liberty? Now you've been given freedom. Let me continue. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's an amazing scripture. We understand what the Ten Commandments say. It begins with four, four commandments that are really directed towards God. They say, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain, um, honor God. It basically, those four first commandments are designed for you to honor God. They're not about anybody else, not about my relationship to you. That's the first four. The last six are all to do with our relationship. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't covet, covet, right? Don't bear false witness. This is about our relationship, not about our relationship to God. So immediately now we understand that to be in the spirit means to not only acknowledge God, but to acknowledge your fellow man. Like there is no relationship with God you have if, there is, if you don't have a good relationship with your fellow person. That makes sense? All right, this I say then, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed. Here his, his idea of walking spiritually immediately talks about relationship. Like, how are you treating each other? I often used to think that um, relationship, a walk with the spirit meant that I was the best worshiper. And that's a good thing. I want you to be the very best worshiper. I want you to take whatever voice you have, whatever clapping skills you have, whatever, anything you have, I want you to give it to the Lord, right? I want you to do that. But when it came to being in the spirit, here he's talking about relationships. He's talking about how I'm connected to you. Am I fighting you? Am I at peace with you? Am I devouring you or are you devouring me? In verse uh, 15 it says, but if ye be bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. It's gonna turn around and get you consumed if you do this. This I say then, this is what he's concluding to. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you give a place for the spirit, for the Holy Spirit to work, it will displace those natural tendencies of the flesh. Let me keep going through because I'm trying to get to the very end. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Essentially what he's saying is when the Holy Spirit comes in, its intent is to displace what is your natural desire. 
like, I don't know about you, but the temptation to be hit after I've been hit is really strong. Like, that's my natural inclination. Like, you said something horrible to me, let me, in the moment I want to get you back, really, really, like, the desire to not hit back, and you see this with children more than anything. Like, they will do before they think. <laughs> like, the hope is that as you mature, you start to have some constraint and you think it through before you execute on that first thought. So flesh needs to kind of give in to the flesh, that first easy response. It's amazing to me how quickly children learn to say no or not share. Like, they learn that really, really quickly. And it takes a while for them to understand that actually sharing is a good thing. It's a positive thing. In fact, when I share, I get more things in return. But it takes a while to get there. And if the, the last scripture we were re reading last week, Paul was specifically saying, I've got to talk to you like your children because you're not understanding the fact that you have to be spiritually mature to understand the messages I'm giving you. Let me keep reading here. But if ye be led by the Spirit, it says this in verse 18, ye are not under the law. Meaning you are not subject to this idea that the law that you break leads to death. Then he dives into the works of the flesh. Let me read those quickly. I'm trying to get to this, the works of the Spirit in a minute here. But he starts by saying, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 17 works of the flesh, 17, I counted through them this morning. I recounted them again last night and I was looking through them. And again, there are only two of these that actually really point directly to God. Like idolatry and witchcraft or sorcery. Those are the two that you could say God's involved in those two works of the flesh. Because you're essentially putting something else before God with both idolatry and witchcraft, you could say you're kind of putting something else where God should be. You're relying on something that is not of God. So I get those two. But the other 15, these other 15s of works of the flesh, nothing to do with how we observe God and everything to do with how we observe each other. <laughs> if you want to have walk, if you want to observe somebody walking in the spirit, the best way to do that, and this is a challenge, I understand, but is to see how they interact with others. <laughs> it's a tough one. This is a tough, this is message is so tough because you're assuming that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to do it so that it looks good towards God, but the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you into great relationship with each other. How are you treating me? How am I treating you? Like, how am I treating you when no one's looking? How am I treating you when no, there's, there's, I can get away with it? <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit is, that's when it's investing his time and energy in you. Let's keep going. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and this is interesting, and there's a couple of things that's really interesting. It says that works of the flesh, 
and fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, the reason why he uses the term works is because the, what the flesh does is self-evident. When you're lying, when you're a murderer, that's self-evident what's going on. You're, you're working from the flesh, but it's saying to you that there is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Spirit can be in you and completely unrecognizable until you see the outcome of the Spirit. So when he goes into the fruit of the Spirit, what he's really saying is the Spirit is working because we see something else. Like the Spirit is working because we see love. You see what I mean? The Spirit is working because we see joy. So it's important to realize that the Spirit's going to start to work, but then the evidence of it is really what tells us that the Spirit is there. There's a scripture that says, try the Spirit to ensure it's of God. The reason why you try the Spirit is because sometimes it's really easy to sound like it's good, and you really start to take a moment and you realize that's not right at all. It sounded okay. I don't know if everybody's ever said to you that, you know, yeah, I'll help you on Tuesday, and, and, and no matter what, I'm going to help you out. I'll be there, 7 o'clock on the dot, don't you worry about. And you get such warm feelings because they said they'll be there at 7. And you say, oh gosh, thank goodness, I, cannot, I don't have to worry about this anymore. 7 o'clock comes on Tuesday, and no, all that thing you said that I felt great about has now, it's disappeared. Because Tuesday's here, and you're not. That's the difference between what is, what is actually going on and what you say. What you say is easy. What you do is the fruit, is the fruit of the Spirit. Let's keep reading, so I'm, I'm almost there. Verse 22, I'm right where I need to be, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, and note it says fruit singular, and I checked on the Greek, it actually is absolutely singular. It's singular, to, it's, I thought when I was growing up that it was fruits of the Spirit, like there was lots of them. That was my immediate assumption. But these working together present a single fruit of the Spirit. Like I don't want you to miss any one of these and expect you think you've got the whole fruit. You actually, it's singular, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So I want you to get all these together to make sure you've got the right thing. Now, I'm going to warn you, <laughs> of these nine fruits, you may be great with five. <laughs> like you may have three down, but we are going to work on this scripture together until we get all nine working and active. You get what I'm saying? You may right now come in and think, I've got three of these set. You, I'm, I'm good with the three, but my desire is we build each other up. Remember, this is about each other now. This isn't just about us and God. It's about each other. I want you to work on these until we've got these down. Verse, what verse am I on? Verse 22. But the fruit, the singular fruit of the Spirit is love. I love that it started off there. I'm going to go through them and I'm going to get through these. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and this is the wonderful thing that it ends the verse 23 by saying, against such, against this, there is no law. Meaning, if you get this right, there is no, there is no need to worry about what the law says. Like, we understand that the law was given to Moses, 
and we understand that the wages of not making those law was, was sin and death. And the scriptures here saying, if you work with these nine components, you don't have to worry about the equation of sin and death anymore. All right, I've got a ton of scriptures to go through. I'm probably going to share some of these to make sure I get you get all of these. Um, you can hold me to that because I've said this before, but I will definitely get you the scriptures this time. Luke, we're going to start by going, excuse me, to St. John chapter 15, 9 through 11. If you can, can get that to, from me real quick, minister. We're going to start with this idea of love. There are four kinds of love mentioned in the scripture, but the kind of love mentioned here is a particular kind. It's an agape love from the Greek agape, which means a, a, a love that isn't really born in emotion. Like, I know romantic love is, is a fascinating kind of love. It's a beautiful love. But romantic love, if I can be absolutely honest, isn't the love that endures. Romantic love is helpful because it engenders a kind of feeling towards somebody. It kind of encourages a feeling. But if you want a love and a marriage that's going to last the 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 year mark, you're going to need an agape love. You're going to need that enduring love. That love that says, I don't care what you do, I'm just going to love you. <laughs> there's other kinds, there's brotherly loves, there's Philadelphia, there's the brotherly love, there is the idea of parental love, there is, as I said, romantic love. But this agape love is what's referred to here in scripture. And I just want to read this one scripture in St. John 15, 9 through 11, just to kind of get you a sense of what's going on. If you could read that for me. Yes, sir. As the Father has loved me, <laughs> right. so have I loved you. Jesus has just told them all the news about his death and his, uh, that he's going to go away. And he's making sure that they understand that even though I've given you all this bad news, even though I've told you all these terrible things, I need you to understand that I've done this for a very particular reason. And it's because I love you. I love you in the way that the Father loves me. So I'm about to go to the cross for you. And I love you like that. And what else does he go on to say? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Yes. Continue in my love. Continue in my love. He's basically saying the way that the Father has instructed me to love you and the way that he in fact loves me is the same way I want you to continue. The same way I want you to live. With this kind of love, there's no room for, for, for lying. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for fear. This kind of love ignores all the evidence to the contrary that it would suggest Actually, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship that you think isn't quite right for you, but you know that you have to love them. I know my parents probably felt this way about me when I was a teenager, that I was so difficult, not listening enough, not doing enough, but they continued to love me through all of it, even though it was difficult, even though I tested their patience. <laughs> Even though they struggled with who I was becoming, they stood there. <laughs> That's the kind of love Christ has for us and further. And the kind of love he's asking us to share with each other. Let's jump to Psalms chapter 1. That's love. I have to do this in the teaching because this is going to be not enough time to do this here. That's, that's love. How about some joy? <laughs> this is the word is simply for delight. 
I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who is just in a great mood all the time and that helps you get in a good mood. Love, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Let them help you. If you've got three good ones and they've got the joy good one, you need to get with them. Hopefully that joy becomes infectious. What does he say in Psalms chapter 1? Yes. Blessed is a man that walketh not the counsel of the This guy of blessed, it's the same kind of idea that this delight. Keep going. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Yes. Nor standeth in the yes. way of sinners. Yes. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffers. Yes. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his joy, it's the same word used there. His delight and joy is in the law of the Lord. It's amazing what people with the Spirit get joyful about. <laughs> and they can share that joy. Remember, Paul has started this whole thing talking about don't devour each other, don't hurt each other, stay together, stay unified. And he started off your discussion about what it is to be together by talking about love and then joy. Next is joy. Your attitude is going to impact who we are and who we become. I don't know if you've seen, had relationship with people who are always upset. It's so difficult. They're so prickly. <laughs> it's so difficult to kind of love them. You want to help, you want to love them, you want to hold them. And they're like, it's like a porky trying to hold, you have a relationship with a porcupine. It's difficult. It's tough. Our joy is supposed to bring us together. Right? Our joy. But not in addition to joy, we need some peace. St. John 16.33, please sir, thank you. St. John 16.33, Jesus is speaking about this idea of peace. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, right. be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's telling them, look, the, the world has got lots of trouble for you, but I have peace. The Holy Spirit is designed to usher in peace into our life. Don't give up on, we could decide that we want to just follow the law, but there's no peace in the law. There is peace in the spirit and work of the spirit. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that, ye, that, that in me ye might have peace. He's just told them I'm going away. He's just told them it's going to be to death. But he says, he told them all this and said, I'm giving you peace still with this. So your peace that you haven't, you've got, has got nothing to do with how, good you, how well your job is paying, whether the mortgage is ahead or behind, whether the car payment is due, it's all to do with your relationship with God. Walking in the Spirit is designed to bring you love, joy, and peace. We need to get into a couple more. Long-suffering. I need you to go to 1 Timothy 1.16. Long-suffering, as he's finding that scripture, long-suffering is basically another way of saying long-tempered. Or basically, the opposite of being short-tempered. Right? So somebody who's short-tempered, is going to get mad with you really quickly. Their moods will change from one thing to another. A long-tempered person will endure what he's going through for a long, long time. Again, these are relationships not between us and God. They're between you and me. 
We are asked to be long-tempered. Now, if I was being completely transparent, this is the one that gets me. I need to be long-tempered, long-suffering. Like I need to get used to enduring things with joy and with love. Long-tempered, and what does that scripture tell us? Yeah. For this cause, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ, yeah. might show forth all longsuffering yes. for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Jesus suffered long. Jesus had long suffering, and he said he did that so that we would pattern our lives in the same way. Our long-suffering nature helps us get through rough patches because they will surely come and they will exist. We, my wife and I just came back from a long trip um, and we were just talking at the end of the trip how sometimes you have to be patient with each other. Like, you go on a, a trip where you travel 800 miles and you're in the car together. You're going to have to do some long-suffering. Like, I'll say something that's not quite right, and now I have to think about that for the next two hours until we get the restaurant, right? It's the way sometimes it goes, but we have to suffer long. Because <laughs> at some point it's going to be your turn where you're going to say something funny, and I have to speak with patience, figure out why you said it that way. Long suffering. Here's one that I think we need to, I think, Guys, men, need to do a better job of this next one. Gentleness. Like, I think we are a bit too rough sometimes with each other. Like, we don't understand what it is to... We think that somehow it's not masculine to be gen gentle. And it really is. Like, you've got to be gentle with each other sometimes. We rough each, roughhouse each other a bit too much. Where me and my brother used to come up, we used to fight all the time. We used to always attack my sister's teddy bears just to kind of wind her up. We were just roughhousing all the time. I know the three boys, I know how you, you folks must be dealing with it. You've got to be gentle with each other sometimes, right? You've got to treat each other like you're, you, you actually kind of care for each other. Thank you, Lord Jesus. One scripture there I want you to touch, James 3, 17. Thank you, sir. This is what James is saying about the wisdom that comes from God, he tells us that it's important in the, not only just to receive the wisdom from God, but how we deliver the wisdom from God. What does he say? But the wisdom that yes. is from above yeah. is first pure. Yes, it's pure. Then peaceable. Then peaceable. Gentle. Ah, that's what it needs to be. Sometimes we get wisdom from God and we get, get inspiration from God, and then we go about giving it in the most unkind way, the most aggressive way. And the Lord is saying, if I've given you this, this wisdom, you have a responsibility to be peaceable, to be gentle. And what else did it say? Pure. And what else? And you're supposed to be easily to be spoken to. Sometimes I think we get a truth from God and we think that gives us the right to be aggressive and hurtful with the truth we've been given. And the scripture's telling us, be, be gentle, be kind, <laughs> be easy to be entreated. 
Let's keep going. Goodness. I want to get to goodness. Galatians 6.10. Goodness, again, is this idea of being morally good, upstanding. I often say about this that whenever the camera's on, whenever people are watching, it's easy to be good. The time to be good really is when no one's watching. The time to be honest and of good moral character and standing is when no one's watching. We want to take the same value we have when no one's watching as when they're watching. Please give me that scripture, sir. Galatians 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, yes. let us do good unto all men, yes. especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We have to be good to everybody with a special focus on the people who are in the, God, in, in the church, the people who are of the house of God. We are supposed to live peaceably and good with all men, especially those in the house of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. The next one is faith. I've got two more after this one. Faith and faithfulness. Faith, the ability to believe, and faithfulness, which is this idea that I'm going to be consistent with what we do. With Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith, be without faith it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of those that diligently seek him. If you know, this is the first time we've really focused this on God. This is the first time we've really had a real direct focus on God. That the fruit of the Spirit is really creating this kind of faith in Him. The belief that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The last one, last two here are meekness and temperance. This kind of meekness is this idea of humility. Can we go to Matthew 11, 29? This idea of humility. Now I love... <laughs> I do love this idea that, you know, if you're good at something, let people know. I do. I do believe that. Um, but I also think there's moments where humility is the right way to go. Like it's really much easier to approach somebody who's humble with the things that they do. Somebody who's willing to share what they go through. And this humble spirit that we have invites people into our community. It allows them to approach us without judgment into our lives. It allows them to get closer. And I think sometimes we have to take the path of humility, even though sometimes we could take other paths, because it helps us together. Again, the thing I want to reinforce is that every single one of these are helpful for the community. They're helpful for us. They're helpful as I build relationship with you, as I get closer to you, as I get closer and closer to the community we want to build. Every single one of these, these gifts of the Spirit, make it possible. Matthew eleven twenty nine. what's it say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. Jesus is basically telling them, I want the burden that I have taken, I want you to take that burden, I'm going to take yours, you take mine, and understand that I am meek, I am humble. Even though he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's saying, I'm the one who is taking myself down just so that you can get closer to me. Our job isn't to make people do hurdles to get to us. Our job is to lower the hurdles so that folks can get closer to us. That's what meekness does. It lowers the barrier to entry. It says, I'm going to stand here and make it easier for you to get to me. Temperance. 
Last one, then I'll take my seat. Temperance. It's this idea of sobriety and, and chastity. Uh, if you could find 1 Peter 5 and 8. This idea of sobriety. I think sometimes we go to the excesses with our desires and our wants. Um, I remember when I um, first got my first job, I think I told my wife this, when I got my first job, I um, wanted to eat, I think it was a, some kind of paper round or maybe it was a, um, I was picking fruit, something. And I took the money that I earned and went straight to the store and bought as much chocolate as I possibly could. No! amount of chocolate seemed like it could be enough. I always felt that my mother and father were kind of cutting off my chocolate habit too quickly. So I went to the store, bought as much chocolate as I could, felt terrible. Oh, it was the worst. It was the worst. But I had no, at that young age, I had no turn off switch in my head. Like, we have to be very careful about our excesses and the things we fuel as our excesses. This scripture is telling us to be temperate to kind of just figure out the middle ground. Don't go too low, don't go too high. You don't have to not ever have anything and you don't have to have it all the time. Yes, it's telling you to be sober, to be in the middle, to, to, to be reasonable with your consumptions. This is what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Why? Because it helps us with the community. Let me read the last two scriptures. Thank you so much, sir. It says in the verse 24 through 26, 26 this is how he ends the chapter. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Those who desire Christ put the flesh last and put these ideas first. You've said, I know what it's like to fulfill myself and I'm going to put that aside so that I can make our community, our church better. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. It's not just enough to take in the Spirit. We, our actions have to reflect the Spirit. Like everything I do has to be in the Spirit. And the last verse, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word.